0: Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective.
1: We pray you find this resource edifying, faithful to Scripture, and Christ exalting. Now, let's get started.
2: Welcome to The Covenant Podcast. My name is Dewey Dovell, and I'm here today with my co-host, Austin McCormick, and it is our joy to resume our study of the doctrines of grace with our dear friends, pastors Jimmy Johnson and Ryan Pendergraft. So, gentlemen, It's great to be back with you guys today for another episode in our series. Good to be back. Good to be here. Amen. Well, as you guys know, and as our listeners know up to this point in our series, we're going to be discussing the doctrine of irresistible grace today. So guys, to get our conversation started, would one of you be willing, or maybe both of you, uh, would y'all be willing to define irresistible grace for us? And would you be able to provide our audience with some of the synonymous names for this doctrine that come about in conversations
3: on this subject. Well, I think that um, from a misconception, irresistible grace would be when God hog tires you against your will and makes you choose him whether you want to or not. And that is of course, not what irresistible grace is. Uh, nor did the reformers uh, particularly like irresistible grace, um, because none of them would have denied that grace can be resisted. We see instances in Scripture from the Old Testament all throughout the New, where or God's grace is constantly being resisted and rejected Peter's sermon to the Jews. You know, he calls them stiff-necked and hard-hearted, always resisting the Holy Spirit. And so I lead off with the misconception, just so that way we can correct it and say that irresistible grace doesn't mean that God forcefully causes someone to choose him against their will. But as we've talked about in other podcasts, episodes is when god so changes our will and our disposition towards him which we have naturally that we do freely and of our own will choose him because of what he's done inside of us and synonymous terms that whenever i talk about irresistible grace i very rarely will say irresistible grace just because i want to avoid the misconceptions that are uh, constantly being leveled against the doctrine i i tend to like to use the term the effectual call uh, is probably the the term that i most use synonymously with irresistible grace and in the effectual call it, it does just that it, it's what i just described of of something taking place inwardly in the life of the regenerate by which they freely choose uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, the difference between that it would be the outward call of the gospel. And so you would have people would say, Well, the gospel goes out to all people, and all people resist. And therefore, we distinguish between the outward call by which all people are to hear the gospel. You know, every Sunday morning I get up and and I preach to congregation, knowing very well that there are lost people in church every Sunday, and I always try to have a a Christocentric, gospel-centric message that I come back to, to which I extend the call to come and repent and, and believe the gospel. And every Sunday, as far as I know, that call is often rejected, but that is what we would call the outward call of the gospel. The inward call of the Gospel, and if I could make the distinction and I might be wrong, Jimmy will probably correct me if I am. The outward call of the Gospel is more man to man, you know, face to face. It is my proclamation of the Gospel, whereas the inward call is that supernatural, divine call in which the sinner's heart is is converted and regenerated. And so, to define it, I would say that the, the irresistible grace is that grace, which is uh, of God, uh, in which a person's disposition and inclinations and will is changed uh, to where they, they, as R.C. Sproul would say, uh, find God to be beautiful, and, and therefore they run after him. Um The terms synonymous with irresistible grace, I'm I'm a big fan of the effectual call. Because whenever God calls a sinner to repentance, that sinner will, in fact, repent.
0: And I have nothing to correct, just a few things to add. The Baptist Catechism defines effectual calling. There is no question on irresistible grace, because as Ryan said, it, it was not the common term. And, and in fact, it seems that more enemies of the reformed doctrines of grace would utilize the term irresistible grace to kind of poison the well. So question 34 is what is effectual calling? and the answer is effectual calling is the work of god's spirit whereby convincing us of our sin and misery enlightening our minds in the knowledge of christ and renewing our wills he doth persuade and enable us to embrace jesus christ freely offered to us in the gospel so i mean that touches upon most of the things that ryan has hit upon it it is a work of god's spirit so yes the general call is is where a a minister of the gospel verbally proclaims the message of the gospel the person and work of the lord jesus christ and calls upon everyone who hears it to believe it and and to repent of their sins whereas the effectual call often happens simultaneously with that outward call, but it only applies to those whom God has elected. And it only takes place at the time that God in his own wisdom has selected. Um, So the Holy Spirit utilizing the the verbal proclamation of the gospel awakens one of his elect. And at that time, unregenerate. Unregenerate sinners, he regenerates them and awakens them to their own sin, as well as to the misery that they have as a result of sin. It enlightens their mind to the knowledge of the gospel so that they don't only know the facts about the Lord Jesus Christ, but they actually know him in an intimate and in a real and a true way and renews their wills because that's one of the fundamental areas of, of Depravity, or where we see depravity really take its root, is in the will of man, where man's desires are for those things that are not of God. So even when man might be able to apprehend something to be true about God, their will is always going to be going against what even their mind may conceive to be true because they hate God and they don't want him. Whereas in effectual calling, the Holy Spirit actually changes man's will it it is and i'm sure ryan will get into this as we look at the scripture passage it, it's god taking a heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh it it's making someone alive to things that they were not alive to before and and it does persuade and enable us to trust in the lord jesus christ so with ryan i'm in complete agreement that effectual calling Is is probably the best way to describe it, Um, because when that call takes place, we, we would say that it is not resisted. It is effective for the end, which God purposed it. And and also just to take us back to things we've talked about before, effectual calling is not a doctrine to be thought of or considered in isolation. You have to connect it with election um, and, and predestination. And if, if you don't connect it with that, yeah, of course it will make very, very little sense. If you take it alone by itself, um, it, it gets very confusing, but these doctrines, I would argue are to be taken as a whole. And of course the divine decree and, and the decree of predestination in particular, precedes effectual calling and is, is really the source of of where effectual calling comes from, and it's it's the person of the spirit who is appropriated that work most often in the scriptures. Go ahead, Ron. I
3: uh, just just so we're we're clear on things, and this is my question to you. Uh, and I'm not the host, so doing Austin, I would ask your permission to ask Jimmy a question. <laughs> How would you distinguish prevenient grace? From irresistible grace. So, prevenient grace, as I understand
0: it, is that, and and I I haven't been able to questions that I would like to to those who who hold to a more Armenian understanding. But prevenient grace, as I understand it, is that the work of Christ has, in some way accomplished a a change in the nature of all men making them able to either accept or or reject the gospel and and basically i mean the great difference there is that it's general in the sense that it is to everyone who is alive I, I think there are instant que- and this is probably an oversimplification. So we, we should probably ask an actual Armenian what what they believe about it. So if I'm wrong, I mean uh, I'm wrong, and, and I'm happy to be corrected on on a more proper understanding of prevenient grace. But basically, it it changes the will of man insofar as enabling him to either respond or reject the gospel, and it's generally applied to all men um whereas irresistible grace is is not resistible um and in fact it always produces the end for which it is designed and that is to make one of god's elect sinners into a regenerated saint and and it is more particular in in its manifestation um so i'd say that that basically gets the main differences one is particular one is general one is effective whereas the other one is more so provisional in in its its approach and and so those would be the main
1: differences very good we've gotten a definition and we've gotten some um, words in conjunction with irresistible grace that are often used to describe this doctrine we've even began to describe some of the misconceptions of this doctrine but Let's take some time brothers to demonstrate this doctrine to our audience biblically. Where do we why do we believe um irresistible grace or effectual calling from the scriptures?
3: Well, I still like going in all of the episodes I think we've we've touched on it um at various times but you know Paul's golden chain of redemption in Romans Eight twenty-eight, uh, and we know that those. Oh, sorry, eight. My bad. Eight twenty-eight and twenty-nine. We know that uh, God works all things together for good uh, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also did predestined to become formed into the image of His Son, in order that He might be the first more. Excuse me, firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so, in this golden chain, this Ordo Salutis, you have one that automatically precedes the other. It's, it, it isn't like Jimmy was stating about prevenient grace, it isn't that God gives everybody a you know it, just enough grace to believe but then again they might reject it's it's that those whom God has foreknown who he has elected before the foundations of the earth those are the ones that he calls and those and that is the effectual call that we have been discussing and those whom he calls will be justified and so that's where we get uh irresistible grace I think that that's one of the the main scriptures that's used to support the doctrine is because there is a chain that is unfettered or excuse me it's unbroken it's it's continuation from one point to the next that those who God calls will in fact be justified romans 9:16 says it is not of him who wills nor of him who runs but of god who has mercy Philippians 2, 12, and following another passage, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And the reason why we are able to work out is because what God has worked in, verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Uh, John 6 would be another passage that we could go to john 6 28 and 29 uh then they said to him what must we do to be doing the work of god and jesus answered this is the work of god that you believe in him who he has sent where faith is declared to be the work of god and so faith where jesus says what must we do or excuse me those asking jesus what must we do to to do the work of God, Jesus' response to them is that you would believe by faith in him, which would show that faith working in us is primarily and uh, preeminently, even before uh, our choice, as it were, is the work of God. The same thing in Philippians too. the passage that I just read, is that we are able to work out our salvation, not because we will it, but because God has worked in us salvation already. And then, of course, Romans 8, 29, and following the verses that I just read, Acts 13, 48, uh, God, we see there, appoints people to believe. Uh, the Gentiles, they've, they've rejoiced to hear the gospel, and as many as were appointed to eternal life, believed. And so... What makes irresistible grace logical, and I guess this is the point that we we try to make from scripture is one, logically, it would it would show that those whom God has elected are those that He calls, those that He calls are also those that He justifies. But what makes it logical is that those who have faith can only have faith according to the Scripture, is because God has pursued them. Not that we have pursued him. In fact, Paul makes that perfectly clear in his doctrine of uh, total depravity, in which he says that all of us fall short of the glory of God, that there are none of us who are good, no, not even one. Uh, None of us seek after God. None of us know God. None of us want to know God. And so, again, going back to the, the doctrine of total depravity, which I guess we haven't even covered yet, but the the natural disposition if if you have to if you have a concrete argument for the doctrine of total depravity then everything else has to follow in its path because if we're totally depraved and we're unable to choose god god must effectually do something in our lives prior or maybe even simultaneously to our choosing of him and i believe this is the scripture references that that i've given and they are some out of many show that that if god is working in us then he is sovereign to accomplish his purpose
0: and only a few passages that I would add would be some Old Testament prophecies talking about the coming of the Spirit such a, and, and allusions to it, such as, um, I mean, Ezekiel preaching to the dry bones would be one example that comes to mind. You, you have a man speaking words to a valley filled of dry dead bones and when the wind comes and and the wind i think obviously is a reference to the holy spirit as in hebrew those two words are actually identical pneuma uh, or rather that's greek (laughs) my bad um but um and then you have those bones taking on um Flesh, sinews, and you have these these men who are alive after that, and and it's not the mere uttering of words that that caused it, but rather the spirit of God who accompanied those uttering of words, and and again for for the the passage that I alluded to earlier, also from Ezekiel talking about a heart of stone being being replaced with a a heart of flesh. And even the rationale of of total depravity, and I'm I'm having a hard time recalling where this is at in Jeremiah. I believe it's Jeremiah seven, but um, essentially Jeremiah talks uh, poses a question about whether or not an Ethiopian, or rather, makes a statement: an Ethiopian cannot change his skin color, a, a leopard cannot change its spots, and and so a man cannot change himself. Is essentially the argument that is being made there. And, and the remedy, of course, comes from the promise of the new covenant in Jeremiah 31. And I'll just read this passage um, beginning in verse, I'll go down to verse 33 of chapter 31. It says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the greatest or from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Um, In the new covenant, God is is promising to to produce the end that he desires to be a God for a people and for those people to be his people. And he does that by writing his law. You notice the first person pronoun, I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. It's God who is doing it. And it's man who is receiving it. So even, even in the Testament, when the new covenant is promised, when the coming of the spirit is promised, it, it, it alludes to this work of God changing people in ways that they they could not otherwise change themselves and and even when we go to the book of ephesians which i'm going through right now and 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 the passages particularly in the first three chapters over and over again you have these triads of of the triune god being attributed or or um credited with salvation in its entirety um we were dead but in Christ were made alive. And, and I don't think that's just a change in position because we have not merely been saved positionally, but, but we have actually been, um, united to Christ and are being conformed to his likeness by the Holy spirit. God chose us that we should be holy and blameless before him. And, and how does that, take place? Is it us doing it or is it God doing it? And I I think the answer of Ephesians um, and the rest of scriptures is clearly it's God who is the primary actor bringing about all these things that pertain to salvation. And, and that is why there is no room for boasting. It's because it's, it's God who, who has done it. He, he has done the work from beginning to the middle, to the end.
2: Amen. Well, I think it goes without saying that um, both Jimmy and Ryan have spent extensive amount of time studying the doctrine of irresistible grace in seminary, but also preaching and proclaiming the biblical basis for this doctrine from the pulpit when uh, they have opportunities to preach such text where this truth is being expounded in the word of God. I want to shift gears now to some of the common objections to the doctrine of irresistible grace. So I want to maybe ask this question in a twofold manner, Jimmy and Ryan, what are, let's start with, what are some of the more common objections to this doctrine? And then maybe just if you feel led to do so in your experience, studying this doctrine at the academic level in seminary versus your experience of hearing objections to this doctrine at the uh, lay level in the local church, do you find that the objections are similar, or is there a difference between the more academic approach to objecting to irresistible grace versus, say uh, the more ordinary um, layperson approach to objecting to this doctrine? would definitely love to hear your thoughts um, on on this question, and I think many of our listeners would benefit greatly from it well,
3: for me personally the the academic objections and the lay objections are the same Uh, and I say that from a person of experience uh, that I would have you know I would have held my very first years of seminary and even beyond uh, from 2011 to 2015 in my undergraduate at Midwestern I would have uh, definitely had more of a prevenient um, idea of, of grace, that it's a grace that, that goes before the work of God, and it goes not to a particular people, but that it goes to all people. And once, you know, those people have had received this prevenient grace, well, now it is up to them to decide whether or not they are going to believe um, I prob- probably from more of a, a lay level, um, the illustrations used uh, would probably differ than from the academy. You know, we, we would go to to the actual text and look at different you know Greek words. You know, the the what does the word mean to draw? What what does it mean that God is drawing you? And and so th- there was more extensive study on the academic level, but. From the you know level of laity, it's you know you've heard said before that God is a gentleman, and He's not going to just force His way in, and uh, or the the misinterpretation of of Revelation three with with the church is that you know I Jesus there standing at the door, and and He's knocking. Well, what's He doing? You know, well according to many. He's knocking on the heart of a sinner's door, you know, growing up, one of the pictures in my parents' hallway was a picture of of Jesus, which I'm sure most of us are acquainted with and familiar with. He's standing outside the door. and this door is is grown up with vines and you know, there's it's just it's difficult to get in just by looking at it. but then to make matters even worse, there's no doorknob on the outside of the door to where he can just open it and come in. So he's just, you know, constantly knocking. And, um, what was the hymn? Sometimes we sing and I, I've requested that we never sing it again. In the fact, Savior I, is waiting. yeah, to, uh, yeah. Why don't you let him come in, you know, time after time he's, he's waited before and now he's waiting again. To see if you're willing to open the door. Oh, why don't you let him come in? And that's you see that more on, on a laity level. Yeah, it's cringeworthy. Um it, I would say the difference. I the argumentation I would say are similar. The difference would be from a position of laity, you have more of a an emotional response, whereas the position of the academy, you have more debate over uh you know uses usages of of words and and context and it's the same debate just you're going at it from from various perspectives
0: i would tend to to agree with that i mean yes the typical objections uh in the academy i I would extend it beyond just textual things i mean you get into more philosophical theological arguments dealing with with the nature of free will and and how that relates to to divine providence and 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 god's special providence on unto the elect um saying things like if if well if man is is not generally able to respond to the gospel then then god is is unjust for for requiring it would mm-hmm. would be one of one of the main objections that that i've heard from people who were more academically inclined and, and the typical, or not the typical response, a response that began probably more so with Jonathan Edwards, or it was popularized by him and then popularized by, by uh, Andrew Fuller and, and this text, more so dealing with gravity, but again, they're connected, um, is man's inability to, to respond to the gospel is not natural in the sense of it's a like a physical defect like physical blindness it, it is a a moral a inability it is an absolute refusal to reject even that which one may even know to be true um for example, an illustration. I believe this is in the Gospel worthy of all acceptation, but this is my my paraphrase, and Andrew Fuller probably did it much better, and he probably plagiarized Jonathan Edwards when when he took it, um, or when he wrote it. But you'd have to go check the facts there. Um, but essentially, you you have gentlemen walking, or you have men walking towards a cliff, and and what the Armenian thinks we mean by total inability is they they essentially mean think we mean that man walking towards the cliff he's physically blind he just can't see the cliff and he's being commanded to to turn away from the cliff that he can't he can't see whereas the way that that i would characterize it and i I think is a more proper way is man you have someone calling to this man who's walking towards this cliff calling him to to turn away from it, and the man sees the cliff But rather than turning away, he just closes his eyes and walks off um, because he he refuses. It's like the man who who walks outside and says the sun doesn't exist um, because he can't see it all the while. He's he's clenching his eyes um, shut. Um, So, I mean, that's a more. I'm giving illustrations of how to respond to that. But I mean, in terms of an actual objection, there is, is essentially that, that God, again, it's the unfair thing. It's not, not fair. And even the way that Ryan described, it it almost makes, makes God sound like he he's an abuser or something like that, just abusing men's will. And, and I think what I've said responds to that too. It's like, well, yeah, in in a sense, um, God doesn't force the man to open his eyes and regeneration but rather he does heart surgery and 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 awaken and and enables the man to actually open his eyes from an inward um disposition and not merely an outward again it's getting too physical is the way that they tend to illustrate it but another objection that that i've heard recently and really, it comes down to paragraph four of of chapter 10 in in the second London. It reads, others not elected, although they may be called by the ministry of the word, may have some con operations of the spirit yet not being effectually drawn by the father. They neither will nor can truly come to Christ and therefore cannot be saved, much less can man that do not receive the Christian religion be saved be they never so diligent to frame their lives according to the light of nature and the law of that religion they do profess and so in reading that someone will say well this is saying that even if someone um genuinely comes to to believe on christ according to this they can't unless they're because they haven't been effectually called some person out there who's not effectually called genuinely wants the Lord Jesus as, as their savior, even though they haven't been elected, even though they don't have the effectual call. Um, this is saying that, that they can't, like God's just going to close the door on them. And this is an emotional argument, right? Um, because that's not at all what, I mean, first of all, the confession is being Descriptive and not necessarily prescriptive. It's not telling us to do something. Um, It's not talking about us preaching the gospel to the lost or inviting the sinner to to believe in Christ. It's describing God's activity that that is invisible um, and going on simultaneously in and through the ministry of the word. It's not talking about the verbal proclamation of the gospel itself. Um, So to respond to that, I mean, you just simply show that well no that's not what we're saying we're we're in fact saying that there is no such person that that comes to the gospel who is unelected and not effectually called that 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 hypothetical man doesn't exist um and, and in reality, we, we all, by nature, going back to total depravity, are, are heading in the opposite direction of where God would call us and, and would resist that general warning to, to turn and be saved. But the effectual call is talking about God's invisible work um, by the person and work of the Holy Spirit to, to make men who are unwilling to, to respond willing. By awakening them to their own sin, awakening them to the beauty of Christ and and His salvation, and and drawing them to to take hold of that gift that is offered by the general call. And I would go further to say, anyone who does respond to the gospel and and trust in Christ and and receives Him, they they are saved. <laughs> and 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 I would say that they have been effectually called at that point. And. And I, we're probably going to get into practical stuff, but I'll, I'll end with that and get off my, my soapbox. But that's, that's one objection that I've heard even, even recently.
1: Now that our dear brother Jimmy is off of his soapbox and has helped us to transition, we can go ahead and get to the practical stuff to use his words. So what are some of the practical and devotional applications of the doctrine of irresistible grace?
3: Evangelism and preaching. Um, I, I know that every Sunday, to use uh, the same illustration as I did before, that whenever I go up and ascend behind the pulpit, the the ministry of God's word is effectual for one purpose or another, either in softening hearts to faith and repentance or hardening hearts in a continual rejection of the gospel. And so it, it it isn't up to me. It isn't my oratory skills. It's not the points that I make and how well I um, might um, enunciate a word or my outline whether I use a an acrostic and make it really pretty and beautiful it has nothing to do with that whenever the word of god is preached as alister likes to say in his prayers then god's voice is truly heard and like i said it, it's effectual in evangelism i can go in the confidence that paul was able to have whenever he went into Corinth for, you know, a year and a half. And Jesus tells him, you know, right before he uh, goes into Corinth, he says, I have many people in this city. You know, Paul, you're going to have an effective ministry in here, not because of anything that you're doing, but because my elect are in this city and they are going to hear the gospel. And because of irresistible grace, because of the effectual call, they will respond. And so I know that success in in evangelism is not based upon my skill, but is based upon God's sovereignty. And I know that whenever I go out and share the gospel with people, uh, that if they are elect, I have confidence that they will, maybe not whenever I'm preaching the gospel to them at that moment, but they will believe. And so I, I would just say that it, irresistible grace from a devotional level, um, as, as all of the doctrines of grace have done really turn a, a man centered theology, a theology where, which works from the ground up to a God centered theology that starts with God and then comes down to us. And that's so humbling. And, uh, every time I think about it, it just, uh, well, it humbles me that much more.
1: Amen.
0: And, and I really don't have a ton to add to that. Just words of affirmation of what's already been said. The doctrine of effectual calling, it, it takes a burden off of a preacher and a pastor or anyone who's evangelizing that they were never meant to carry. and. I think that that's an important point because there are sometimes, and, and unfortunately, Calvinists can fall into this as well, where, where we put so much pressure on ourselves or, or even our, our hearers to be outstanding witnesses, um, to, to have polished presentations of the gospel, to do everything right and well. We, we expect the sermons to be orderly. Um, an acrostic would be quite amazing, but at the very least, the sermon must be alliterated, <clears throat> or have, or or have a a rhyme, or an acronym, or or something of that nature, or, and just get so we bog people down when we have just really, really, really unrealistic expectations for what these these things can do, and that's not to say that God doesn't use skill or or gifting people of greater gifts to greater extent and stuff like that that's not to denigrate the means that god uses for these things or that we shouldn't give forth effort but we do need to always remember that it always comes back to god he is the one who brings the growth we sow and water and pray and wait and it's god who brings growth and if you're a pastor and you're listening to this, or, or if you're just a member who's really, really concerned about sharing the gospel with lost people and, and have, have shared your heart out and, and, and preached until your voice is, is tired and just over and over again, all you seem to be reaping is negative responses. Remember that it's likely not in any way your fault if you're being faithful and and preaching the truth um you've done what god has called you to do you're not going to get to the end of your race and god's going to ask for a quota of how many people responded to to your your messages no you you won't if if you have faithfully ministered the word and and been a faithful witness for the Lord Jesus Christ, he, he will call you his faithful servant and welcome you home and, and free you of all all the other burdens, um, both those that are genuine burdens and those that we put upon ourselves. Um, so I know that your calling is, is to preach the gospel, to preach it with as much clarity as you can, and then rest in the God who saves and the God who, who uses his word. To, to draw lost sinners unto Christ and to make those who are now saints more and more like Jesus. Trust that he will do what he has said. And, and on, in addition to that, um, saying all that, the doctrine of effectual calling makes a lot of the pragmatism that we see in our day absolutely unnecessary. Because we, we are not called to entertain goats. We, we are called to, to feed sheep first and foremostly. Um, so pragmatism, just because something works, um, does not mean that is the right thing to do. Because again, it's God who saves. It's not Jimmy. It's not Dewey. It's not Ryan. It's not Austin. It's not you, listener, who, who saves people. It's God who saves people. And, and by his grace, he allows us sometimes to, to be participants in those events and, and to proclaim that gospel message that someone responds to. But again, we, we give him the glory. So effectual calling, if you have a proper understanding of it, you can wholly give yourself to the ordinary means of grace and just ordinary faithful ministry. Because you know it's God who does the work. You don't need to kill yourself. You don't need to beat yourself up after every sermon that you feel is bad. Um, you can just rest in God, and and He He most certainly will do the work, and He'll even use you. I, I have no doubt about it. So that's my word of encouragement, and and some of the the devotional thoughts. Our our host, do you have
2: any additional thoughts that you would like? to add? Well, for me, uh, as as a man who has served in pastoral ministry now for a couple years and has experienced the highs and lows of sharing the gospel with family members and friends and seeing those who respond positively and those who respond negatively to the exact same message, it just is so encouraging to know that we can rest and God's perfect ability to save those whom he desires to use whatever means necessary to accomplish that end. And um, to know that man's ability to resist God's calling is not more powerful than God's ability to bring about their salvation. And I think when pastors and Christians get that, it changes everything. And it allows us to, as, as you said so well, Jimmy, it allows us to rest and and the kindness and the gracious providence of our God. And um, I hope that this has been a a very encouraging discussion so far uh, to our listeners, especially for those uh, who who may have struggled in the past or may be struggling right now with how they can go about sharing their faith with others. Um, And ultimately, just from a purely uh, devotional aspect, which is what our previous question entailed, it's, inc- it's encouraging and it's incredible to see how high theology does not lead to dry, sterile, uh, lifeless religion, but it it really does penetrate the depths of our heart as believers. So I hope that that has been an encouragement to you listener. And on that note, uh, just to get us into our next question, unless Austin has something he wants to add and he's shaking his head. No. So, um, I'll proceed with the next question then. Um, For those of our listeners who may be looking to grow in their understanding of irresistible grace, whether it be theological or whether it be devotional, for somebody who is listening to this episode today, maybe has been following our series up to this point, um, what would be some of the key resources that you would recommend to them to be better educated on this key aspect of the Christian salvation experience? Jimmy, go ahead. <laughs> um, I haven't
0: been able to read the entirety of this book, but the excerpts I've read are very good. Matthew Barrett has a, a book on effectual calling. I believe it's a, a refined version of his doctoral dissertation. And what I've read is, is very, very helpful. I mean, utilizing the, Sam Waldron's modern exposition of the 1689 is very helpful. Also, I believe it's Chad Van Dixon I don't. Yes, it may not be Chad. It's something Van Dixon Horn um, writing. Uh, he wrote a confession on the Westminster. He wrote a commentary on the Westminster that is very, very good and and alludes to the scriptural passages that we find. Both in in the the second London and as well as the Westminster, I think those are both Waldron's and 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 Dixon horns are are going to be very, very accessible and and shorter reads. Um, And then some of the old ones we've we've recommended the reign of grace by Abraham Booth has a section on effectual calling the cause of God and truth by John Gill. Um, I mean, it talks about all of the doctrines of grace from various angles, both in terms of church history, but also common objections. And in truth, I would say if you can get your hands on the cause of God and truth that, and that is a great all around resource. I mean, it's just, Hundreds upon hundreds of pages.
1: Austin is is holding a book up. He should say what it is. Is that the Potter's Freedom? No, it's titled Help to Zion's Travelers by Robert Hall. Um, I believe this was a book that helped some of the particular Baptists understand the doctrines of grace in the 18th century. Um, this particular volume that I'm holding in my hand does not belong to me. I'm borrowing it from Dr. Chris Holmes, but uh it addresses all the doctrines in it. I believe well, there you go there you go that that would be one to go to or or
0: even just finding old sermons by some of the guys we've mentioned um many of them you can find online uh on the text that we've mentioned and they'll they'll go into doctrinal. Expositions. Uh, Another resource that that I think is very accessible and would be helpful if you're studying any confessional document from the 17th century is is the body of divinity by Thomas Watson. And John Flavel also has a commentary on the shorter catechism or, or a body of divinity by Thomas Ridgely, which would actually be a commentary on the larger catechism. All, all of those are just very, very helpful um, in parsing things out. And, and many times they deal with some of the objections of their days. And in many cases, the objections of their days are a lot more sophisticated than the ones that, that you're going to run into but they do address more pastoral things too so those would be the ones i recommend
1: we've kind of talked about final encouragements under our heading of practical and devotional applications it has been some time since uh we've recorded an episode together the four of us dewey uh pastor ryan pastor jimmy and myself um, Jimmy especially has not been visiting with us on the covenant podcast weekly, like he had in the past. And this is not to disparage or, um, to cast him down, but, uh, he has been given uh, a lot of extra responsibility with, uh, growing church. And so, uh, Jimmy, I was going to see if you wanted to just talk about why you haven't been with us as much recently and, um, why that's been a good thing. <laughs> well, it. As with many things, this
0: side of glory, there are mixtures of of good and bad. But by God's grace, Vista Baptist Church has has grown um quite a bit since I've been here in terms of both spiritual maturity, which of course is more important, and, and spiritual depth, but also numerically our our churches has been growing. And and again, that's by God's grace. People are hearing the word. Some people are converting. Some people are traveling long ways to to come to a church where where the gospel is preached. And even Ryan's had that at First Baptist as well. People traveling long ways to just hear the Bible faithfully exposited. So both of us have, have experienced that. We're also beginning a search for potentially hiring a second pastor and things of that nature. I can't share any details because the only thing official right now is that we're going to begin looking at some point in time. Um, but that has been another good thing. And just with a growing church, I mean, the drawback of that is you get more responsibility and, and more people are hurting, more people need pastoral care. And, and some people, um, who were at the church before it started to grow can grow jealous of those who, who join the church. So those kinds of things can happen. Um, and, and some of it is likely my, my own personal faults and failings, but so, I mean, the good stuff is the church is growing. Um, the bad stuff, I mean, I've had some health complications that, that have, that really is where I first kind of started getting off of the podcast for a little while. Thankfully, nothing too serious has, has been found and my health seems to have improved all on its own. So I I praise God for that, but it's just a season of growth at Vista Baptist Church and I'm I'm immensely immensely grateful and I'm for the most part looking very much forward to what God does. But I mean I think it's important for people to remember because many people are not going through a season like the Vista Baptist Church, where where there is growth. Even faithful ministers who who are ministering the word are not going through seasons like that. And and again, I want to come back to, to remind those folks that it's not necessarily because you're doing anything wrong. I had a gentleman ask me, "Oh, what are you doing at Vista Baptist Church? Why why are you crawling?" And I said, "Well," this isn't to sound mean or sarcastic. It's like we we've given ourselves to the means, ordinary means of grace. We, we, we preach the word, we pray. We do have a children's program, but it's not all fun and games. It's like the word is just being taught. Parents feel their children are safe. So they bring them there. um, And stuff of that nature. So it's not like we have any, gimmicks or any i i have no no help in terms of a magical button that you can press to to make your church grow for the most part my time here has not been like it has been in the last year um so god in in his providence at this time has decided to bless vista baptist church with numerical growth but he could just as easily take that away and he would still be just as faithful and just as good. And I would be just as responsible to keep doing the things that I'm doing. Um, so pastor, wherever you're at church member, who who's very concerned about the state of your church. If you're being faithful. I, I know this is, these are the ter- terrible words and no one likes to hear them. It, sometimes we are called to wait. And. I I get that not from me but I when I visit people I I this month typically I've been going to lamentations 3 and and of course you you like we know that lamentations is mostly a a god-centered complaint from from the author uh, Jeremiah as he he laments and mourns over the fall of Jerusalem and all that went into that and the first two chapters the last two chapters are the shorter chapters of the book and and deal mostly with with complaints and just agony but chapter 3 the longest chapter in the middle chapter he he takes his focus off of what appear to be covenantal failings and and things the whole world's falling apart around him he he takes a break from that and 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 almost preaches the gospel himself and to anyone who who would read that letter and reminds those readers that that God's steadfast love endures forever. He, he gives mercies anew every day unto his people and God rescues those who wait for him. So one word summary of, of the Christian life at times is, wait. Wait and And you can wait, because the God that you wait for he is always faithful and He is always true and 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 know that we here are praying for you and and each each one of us here has gone through ups and downs of ministry um so we know where you're at, but God is always good, He's good in the good seasons and in the bad, so take heart.
1: Thank you for the update, Jimmy, about uh, why you haven't been joining us as frequently. But uh, in your absence, we have been blessed with uh, Brother Dewey joining us uh, even more during this season and uh, becoming a co-host of the Covenant podcast and being able to get some um, interviewees on our show. Recently, Dr. Eric Weathers was on uh, as we're recording this week and uh, Dr. Steve Lawson. So we're grateful for. Uh, his contributions to the covenant podcast and how the Lord has seen fit to use him in this role. Thankful for you as well, uh, pastor Ryan for taking the time to uh, join us in this series. We look forward to many more discussions with you, uh, whether in this current series that we're in or in a to be named a, a series in the future, we'll keep our listeners in suspense as we think about uh, what well, we know what we're going to go to, but They don't. So thank you, brothers, for this conversation. I hope uh, to our listeners, this conversation on irresistible grace has been uh, informing and encouraging to you. We hope that you will tune in again for our next installment in this series and in our episodes in the week to come. And we wish you grace and peace.
0: For additional content, check out our blog ministry at covenantconfessions.com. Also, keep up with our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Next, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Lastly, thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.